to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome back to Natural MD Radio, everybody, and welcome especially to another really special episode of The Birth Circle. For those of you who are joining for the first time, just a super quick background is that I started out studying to be a midwife 37 years ago, began my midwifery practice in 1988. And I was so fortunate to have an early exposure to natural birth, home birth, and had what I would truly describe as the privilege of having healthy pregnancies and having my babies at home. And when I say privilege, I really want to emphasize that word because for many women, that privilege for a variety of reasons is not inherent. And it should be, but we know statistically in the U.S., Black women have three times the maternal mortality as white women, and that is across the board. We're not talking about statistics that have to do with poverty or lack of access to care. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic background is or your education. You can be an MD with three PhDs and still have three times the likelihood of dying in childbirth as a white woman. And this has to do with a lot of factors, inherent racism and stress that women carry when they're in an oppressive system, and also the experience of interfacing with the maternal health system. I went to medical school, got my training as a family physician with a specialty in women's health, gynecology and obstetrics, and am really committed to not only changing the way women experience their own health and healthcare, but how healthcare is practiced. When the pandemic started back in March, I quickly saw what was happening in that women having their babies, people having their babies were being told that they had to go into the hospital and birth alone. Their partners, their doulas weren't allowed. And I quickly recognized this as an infringement of human rights, a legal infringement of human rights, but also a crisis. And I and um, my team mobilized and very quickly created an online program where it was totally free, it still is actually as of now and will be through end of February 2021, after which it will be free to anyone who can't afford to pay for it and affordable to everyone. But we offer a um, program that is contains um, at least 40 hours already of video with me on pregnancy health, birth support, and postpartum care, as well as support groups. And a big piece of this program has been learning to be your own advocate. One of our course members and um, support group members is joining me today. And I am so delighted to have her here. Brandy Frazier is a mom, wife, sister, and daughter 
who was originally born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Brandy has a passion for speaking and making an impact on anyone she meets. Her high energy and zest for life make her a great friend and a trusted educator. When Brandy became a new mom to an awesome baby boy, Zachary, her life changed. She had an amazing labor and birth, but ended up being hospitalized due to post-pregnancy complications 13 days after birth. This traumatic experience inspired Brandy to create an organization that provides educational resources and services for women throughout their pregnancy and postpartum. She's truly passionate about empowering women, and she truly believes it's part of her purpose. She currently lives in My Husband and Children's birth origin hometown, ATL, with her wonderful husband and son. And Brandy wrote us after she had her baby and said, I really feel like this program saved my life and transformed my understanding of what was going on and how to advocate for myself. So I'm really so pleased to welcome Brandy here and to um, have her share her story with you, largely interrupted by me. Um, what her experience was, what she learned, how she advocated for herself, and what she's doing now. So, Brandy, thank you for joining me. Yay! Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited and happy to be here. Yes. Well, girl, I am so glad you are here. I mean, things could have gone really differently for you, really <sighs> differently. Yes. Yes, indeed. It, I'm so thankful it didn't, but it truly could have. Oh, I'm just getting chills thinking about it. Yeah, yes. me too, actually. Me too. You know, the first time I witnessed the um, really significant disparities in um, Black women's experience of healthcare actually was in ATL. It was oh, wow. in Atlanta around the mid-1980s, maybe like 86 And there was a woman in the midwifery collective that I was studying, which was Southwest Atlanta. It was a group called Dua Afe, which was um, all black midwives working largely in the black community. I was the outlier apprentice in that group. And um, we had a mama who was um, thinking about a home birth later in her pregnancy, Mm -hmm. but um, around seven and a half, eight months pregnant or so, she started having really severe um, abdominal pain. And she went over to, um, I want to say it was, uh, it, maybe it was Crawford Long. It was one of the, I don't want to like cast dispersions, but it was one of the like Northside hospitals because she happened to be over there. And this was before the day that hospitals had to take you regardless of your insurance status. And not only was she a black mama, but she had dreads and her you know hair and a head wrap like, I'm sure she had judgment coming at her left and right, was thinking about a home birth, so she wasn't really fully established with an OB in the hospital there. And she was sent away from the hospital. She ended up making her way down to Grady Hospital, which you know, Grady, you're in ATL. For those of you who Mm -hmm. don't know, it's like the inner city hospital. And um, it turned out that she had had a um, potentially life-threatening uterine rupture and um yeah she tragically lost the pregnancy lost the baby they saved her life it did actually change the law in um atl in the regulations all hospitals had to take um people regardless of their insurance status but that was um yeah it was really something and you know and this thing this happens all the time right Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So Unfortunately. take us back to the beginning. Take us back. Tell us about you and your pregnancy. And... Okay, I, I would love to. So I am a first, first, first time mom, a super excited, super planned baby with my husband. We had it all planned out. Like, okay, we get married. We're going to start trying. I said, okay, let's at least stay married for a little bit. Let's enjoy each other. Then bring on the baby. Because you know, everyone tells you, just try to enjoy your husband first before you have a baby. So we did that and we got to trying. So we got to trying and didn't end up working the first month. So I did have to uh, bring in a fertility specialist because I do have PCOS. So that was something that I've known since I was in college and they simply masked it with birth control pills. So that's what it was. It was, oh, you have PCOS. Here you go. Go on the pill. You're not getting pregnant right now. Right. Okay, good. Just stay on this. So I knew I would have to eventually deal with it. And it ended up happening just like I thought. So instead of seeing my o- my OBGYN, when I first moved to Atlanta, I decided to go straight to the reproductive endocrinologist because of how she treated me when I asked the questions about trying. So this is the same OB, I'm going to tell you, who went throughout my pregnancy. So I'm going to take you and bring it full circle. So she's like, when I originally brought it to my OBGYN, she said, well, um, what you'll do is, all right, do this. Just have go, okay, from your period, once your period starts on cycle day 12 through 14, just have sex, you'll get pregnant and that's it. I said, um, okay, so what about, you know, my periods are very irregular. Like that can be in 45 days, 60 days, 28 days. And she's like, well, it just doesn't matter. Just do it from then. And I felt just so just rejected then. But I said, okay, I'm not even going to play any games. I'm going to go straight to um, a fertility specialist and do it that way. So we were very, very blessed where we got pregnant on our second cycle. So it was just taking, you know, ovulation medicine and tracking. We didn't have to do any IUI or IVF. So second cycle, like we ended up getting pregnant. So we were so excited and happy. So imagine that, Aviva. We're like, it happened. Just the second cycle. Yes. So <laughs> I set an appointment with her and it was at my nine week, because I still followed up with my fertility specialist until you graduate. After eight weeks, you graduate. So I'm like, oh, this sounds cool. They made it really cool. But they're like, you graduate and you get to go to your OB. I'm like, yeah, now that I'm pregnant, it's going to be such a better experience with her. No. Um, yeah. So I set my appointment. My husband and I go in. This was right prior to the shutdown with COVID. So we go in and she walks through the door and we had our list of questions. One thing about me, I am such a person who does so much research. So I had everything lined up. My husband had his daddy to be questions lined up. We were excited. We're sitting in a room like, OK, so she comes in and she's like, oh, hi, sweetie. OK, so you're pregnant. Congrats. Um, yeah. So here's this booklet. Uh, take that. Um, make sure. Do you have a cat? Uh, okay. So if you have a cat, don't touch any cat litter. Uh, what prenatals? Are you taking any kind of prenatal? And I was, you know, I had so many questions. She's like, just take anyone. It doesn't really matter. Just take a prenatal. And yeah, and I'll see you back in uh, four weeks. And I'm like, oh, um, huh? I'm like, okay, um, is that it? So she's walking out the door and I'm just so, I'm just blown away for how quick it was. Like that's how my first initial appointment was just like that. I'm sitting there holding back tears and I look at my husband and he's like, wait, what just happened? So we're, we're getting our stuff together. I'm processing everything and we're walking out to the checkout and I see her walking back and she's like, see you in four weeks. I said, that's it. I said, no, no, no. I said, excuse me. I was like, I didn't really like that interaction that just happened. I had a ton of questions. So did my husband. And you didn't even ask us if we had questions and I'm I'm not feeling okay right now. And she said, oh, oh, okay, well, let's, let's go in this room. So it was literally an office door that was just open. She took my husband and I in there, closed the door, crossed our arms and said, what are your questions? (laughs) We're like, 
okay. I go down a list of questions. She's answering them. My biggest question was, will you be the person to deliver my baby? I didn't want to see multiple people. I wanted you to be there. And that's the thing now. You, you most likely will not get the same person who you've had your care with. And she promised me. She said, yes, that's what makes our practice so unique. It's only three of us here. I don't take vacations. I'll definitely be there to deliver your baby. And I'm saying, okay, all right. So she ended up asking, answering my questions, but I still didn't feel good after. You know, that feeling, you're, I, we're happy, we're pregnant. Me and my husband both walked out of there feeling defeated, not happy, but I felt like, man, I got to settle because everywhere else I've called, because I've done some research, because I was still kind of iffy on her from my previous experience when I told, told her we were going to start trying, that, oh, you're going to see multiple people and then whoever's on call is going to deliver. So that's what kind of honestly married me to her to say, okay, Lisa will be that one person. All right. So throughout my pregnancy, boom, I'm like, yes, I'm going to have this amazing time. COVID hits, shuts everything down. Boom. Husband can't come to appointments now. So I'm in this office with her by myself and we're FaceTiming him in as he sits in the car because he's working remote too with a laptop on one on his lap. And he has his car on a, I mean, his actual cell phone right on the dash, just trying to be in on appointments. And from then Aviva, my experience with her it just didn't get any better. It was just very mediocre. It lacked luster. I asked questions and she always seemed to have an attitude because I'm that person where I felt as a woman and most importantly, as a black woman, I, I, I was nervous about everything. I did my research. I start looking up things and with me having PCOS, why aren't we talking about what could happen? Things I need to watch out for my diet. These are things I've done research on and I'm expecting to hear from her because she's the subject matter expert. I don't care how much research we do. We trust you to be that person to deliver it to us. And I would have to pull teeth to get answers. So I asked about the, I'll never forget this one, just to kind of go through the story. I said, so what about the, you know, the gestational diabetes test and that? Yeah, you'll take that between 27 and 28 weeks. I said, okay, uh, should I maybe take it sooner due to me, you know, having PCOS? Because that's, you know, it's, I'm an insulin resistance part as far as that. She's like, no. I said, Okay, I had read online about she's like, well, we, you can take it early if you want. I was like, okay, but I'm still gonna make you retake it. That's absolutely fine, but I would rather be proactive. So I ended up taking that test at 20 weeks and it was normal. And then she's like, but you're still gonna take it again, almost like to kind of be combative with me. I, I, I didn't have any problem taking it. I'll take as many tests as you want me to take, you know? And I ended up taking it again and it was still normal. Went through the entire pregnancy, every appointment of Vivo, almost like kind of putting on, my shield to go in to say, okay, what am I going to ask? I can't let her leave. Every time she's like, you know how you're sitting there and you're like, okay, I got questions. I put them in my iPhone in my notes section. And I would literally have to stand there and say, wait, 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 I have a couple more questions. As she's grabbing the door to leave, it was so just, it was a machine. You know, she's a well-oiled machine. It was like, okay, I'm in and I'm out. And you would think, why are you staying? I start researching different doctors, but I said, she's the one who's going to deliver my baby. I'm going to just keep fighting through this. I'll ask all the questions, but it's going to be her. Throughout my pregnancy, amazing. I mean, I think COVID, you know, everything else and the negative side to it, but I say the positive side, it got me even closer to my husband. We're welcoming our first baby. I mean, I spent so much time in that nursery and my experience at home was amazing. I mean, we were excited. We did everything virtual, the most amazing baby shower and I'm just growing and I'm healthy. I work out, I'm watching what I eat. I'm that mama, okay? That mama who's like, okay, I'm gonna eat this, baby needs this, baby needs extra spinach, iron. I'm doing all of those 
good things to go and get defeated every single time. I was never happy whenever I left my appointments. Only time I was happy was when I had an ultrasound appointment and seen my baby. That was the only excitement I've ever had. Fast forward. Okay, so it's time to deliver. I go through. I'm so excited. Uh, I'm at my 37th week. So I'm carrying full belly. Aviva, this belly was sitting, okay? And she's like, mm, your baby is huge. She was like, okay, um, he's he's a big boy. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So she was like, we'll do a growth scan just to see where he's at. But he's a big boy. And she said, you know what? How about on your next visit? Because I'm going weekly now. Let's talk about possibly a cesarean because he's a big boy. I said, huh? wait, what? She's like, yeah, let's talk about that. I said, uh, go straight to a cesarean. Why? She's like, because he's a big baby. And you know, that's uh, uh, okay. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So the next appointment, I had a growth scan. The growth scan, as we know, can be totally off. It said he was about seven pounds and like 10 ounces. Right. And I come in, she, she goes over the results and she's like, yeah. And, but here's the thing, you know, he's sunny side up, you know, so he's, I believe it's like posterior facing mm-hmm. posterior. So I had already read up on that anyway. And she's like, he's sunny side up and that's going to be a tough, difficult labor. Like those babies are the hardest to get out. And yeah, so we, we need to maybe consider a cesarean. So I stopped her right there. I said, listen, I said, no, I don't want to consider a cesarean. Women, women deliver nine pound, 10 pound babies all the time, unless there's something physically wrong with me or something, or his life is in jeopardy. I don't want to talk about a cesarean as being the first option. She's like, okay, that's fine. She's like, it's going to be a long, a long, hard labor. I just, I'll just tell you that. I said, okay, that's fine. This is the experience I'm getting. I'm 38 weeks now, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not, am I being punked? Like, where are the cameras? Is someone going to run out with the cameras and say, just kidding? No, she wasn't. So I'm sitting there just going back and forth. I'm talking to my husband about it. I ended up going into labor. Uh, She stripped my membrane. So we did do that. And I went into labor that same day. She's like, get to Northside. Uh, you know, your, your contractions, I guarantee you, you're going to have the baby over the weekend, possibly sooner, because I'm really good at stripping the membranes. I said, okay, great. I get to the hospital because contractions were heavy. I wanted to labor down as much as possible. So I did that at home. And by the time I got there, so, oh, side note. I asked her about, oh gosh, this is coming back to me. I asked her about, you know, my biggest fear It's coming to me now was tearing during labor and delivery. Like I've read so much and I, that just freaks me out. Like, oh my God, no, what can I do to maybe prevent it? She looked at me and said, nothing. She was like, read what you want on the blog. She was like, it's so much stuff, but your first time mom, you're going to tear. That's just it. You're going to tear. So just put it in your mind that you're going to tear and there's nothing you can do about it. That's it. Oh, okay. See, it's just steadily just doing that. So, well, I did read some stuff online and different pushing positions. She's like, like what? I was like, never mind. And I just shut it down there and then got on with my visit. Fast forward. My husband and I, we go to the north side and we check in and she's like, yeah, I'll be there. Okay. She did not end up coming at all. At all. She promised me from the very beginning. So I took all of this and she wasn't even the one who ended up delivering my baby. So while I'm at Northside, the staff was amazing. The first set of people, um, I, I labored down as long as I could. I got to seven and a half centimeters. I wanted to do the natural route, but mama was tired. I was so tired. I, said, I can't do it anymore. So I ended up getting an epidural and I got to finally sleep. So during this time, they broke my water and that was about 3 a.m. Uh, the next shift came on at seven and, you know, we got introduced to our new LND nurse and she was really, really cool. We really liked her a lot. However, we hadn't met the doctor who would be delivering the baby. Nine o'clock comes around. No one's come. So my husband's like, well, when are we going to meet the doctor? Because I hadn't been checked since 4 a.m. And she's like, well, she's really busy today. 10 o'clock comes. 
no OB. No one has popped in just to say a brief, hello, hey, it's going to be me. And remember, my doctor is not, she's nowhere to be found. So it's not going to be her at all. And no one's come. 1030 comes. My husband's like, and this whole time I'm on my side and I'm laboring with a peanut ball right in between my legs. So that's how I'm laying. And my husband's like, what's going on? I'll tell you this. My husband's the complete opposite of me. I'm high energy. He is calm, cool, and collected. Okay. It takes a lot to get him just kind of like, oh, he was starting to get, "Mm," okay. And when I looked at him, I'm like kind of drowsy and out of it. That's why it's so important to really make sure that your partner is dead on set on your birth plan, the things that you want. Because when I came in the hospital, my husband printed out 10 copies of our birth plan. And I, I promise you, I think he handed one to the security too. Everyone got a copy. He's like, you get a copy. You get a copy of our birth plan. And he was very aware. 1030 rolled around. He's like, no, this is ridiculous. Like they were not listening to us. And I felt thin. I'm like, oh my goodness. See, this is my, one of my fears are starting to come out that they're not actually taking us seriously and they're leaving us as an afterthought. And what are we going to do? But remember, I'm, I'm still laboring and baby is doing okay. So I'm like, I don't know what's going on. That was it. My husband, 11 o'clock rolled around. He had it. The nurse came in again and she's like, just checking on you. He said, where's the, where's the, where's the OB? And she's like, well, she's still busy. He said, shift has changed at seven o'clock. She hasn't even popped in to say hello. And she's going to be delivering my son. And he said, we haven't even checked my wife. She's like, well, we're going to wait for her to check. He said, no, why can't you check her? I mean, I could check her. That's what the nurse said. She was like, he's like, can you do it? Okay, I'll check her. So the doc, the nurse goes over. She puts on her glove and was like, you know, nothing much probably has happened. You know, she goes in, Aviva gets two fingers, probably about halfway in. My son's head was right there. And she said, oh, well, hello, head. Okay, um, the baby's head is right inside of here. I only got about two fingers and Okay, I'll be right back. She snatches her glove off, runs out. Two minutes later, that doctor comes in. It took my husband to say that and for them to say, oh, well, let me check. And my baby, so my son has been sitting in the canal right there all this time. We don't know how long. The doctor comes in and it's a midwife. So it wasn't an OB, it ended up being a midwife. Never met her a day in my life. She's on call in Northside. I don't, she's not even in the practice that I go to, okay? I don't know who this woman is, but she comes in and she's like, oh, hey, hello. So I see there, she checks me. She's like, a little bit of cervix left. Okay, you're good. We, we can start pushing if you like. Uh, yeah, I think I would like to if I can. So now I'm back to Brandy now. I'm not as like groggy. And I'm sitting there and she's like, okay, let's go ahead and push flip over on your back. I said, no, I want to push on my side. And she's like, on your side? I was like, yeah, I would like to push on my side because I've done you know, my research and I did not want to push on my back. I was so big on not doing that. That's why I didn't want an epidural. But my epidural, I had it at 3 a.m., has started to wear off. I feel my legs. I feel everything. And she's like, okay, let's try it. I literally have even turned on my side. They flipped me over. Well, the nurse had my knee that was down, my right knee bent, and my other leg was on my husband's shoulder, okay? This is the picture, and I'm on my side. And she said, let's do a couple practice pushes. You know, you're a first-time mom. It's going to take some time. And I said, okay, boom, do a practice push. Her eyes get kind of big. You know, she's like, mm, do that again. Did a practice push. She just told me how to push, and I just bared down, and I pushed with all my might. My baby is sliding out. She said, Oh, okay. It was 11.48 PM. She said, give me a couple more like that. I ended up pushing Zachary out in exactly 20 minutes, 11 contractions, and did not tear at all. Pushed my baby out. I would say 
that was the most empowering feeling that I've ever felt in my life because I can hear that doctor, my, my doctor saying, you're going to tear, you're going to do these things. All of it's going to happen, accept it. But that midwife was amazing. Like I feel connected to her for the rest of my life because she made room for that baby. She was so gentle, but she was encouraging. During my labor experience, Aviva, we're laughing and talking. The L&D nurse said, I've never had anybody laughing while pushing. This is crazy. She's like, are you okay? And I'm laughing because I'm excited. That that midwife was bringing just so much joy and just to meet our baby. I'm happy. So we get to the part, except for when he was like crowning. And she's like, so let me tell you about my son. I was like, okay, stop, stop. Come on, get him out. And she's like, okay, okay, go. So then I pushed one more time and he came out, but literally no tearing at all. And that experience there was amazing. So my labor experience was, was great. My delivery was great. I pushed out an eight pound, 10 ounce healthy baby boy in 20 minutes. And I was so excited and powered. Only problem we did have is because remember they waited and they didn't give it, they didn't come check me. I ended up getting a fever. I had a fever towards the end and they were wondering, okay, is Zachary, we're going to check the baby because he could have caught whatever it was from an infection for them breaking my water during that time. So that ended up happening. He ended up being absolutely okay. And boom, great. So let's move on. So should I talk talk about postpartum now? <laughs> or I've been talking a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm just listening. It's, you know, I, I heard something the other day. It was a, I read a quote that said, aside from food and a safe place to live, human beings need stories more than anything else for nourishment. And <laughs> so please, but I do, I guess I have one question for you before we go on to the next part. And I think this is really relevant for the next part too. Um, you know, I grew up with uh, a pretty hardcore feminist mom, single woman raising me in the seventies in a housing project. She was kind of like, she didn't suffer BS from anyone. And she really taught me to be an advocate for myself. And I remember the first time I learned to speak up for myself against a personal injustice was third grade. And not everyone has that sort of kind of like fighting spirit. I, I tell a story. One time I was um, attending a hospital birth. Long story short, the woman had a lot of complications, so she couldn't have a home birth. And I was with her at the hospital just supporting her there. And she had to have a lot of interventions because of a legit medical problem. And But she didn't want an episiotomy and the OB came in and he picked up some scissors to do an episiotomy when she was pushing the baby out. And I was like, she doesn't want an episiotomy. And he looked at me and he said, I'll do an episiotomy if I damn well, please. And I don't know what took over in me, but I literally put my bare hand on her perineum, like right in front of her perineum and said, you're going to have to cut through me to get to her. And he put the scissors, he just his face just dropped, it just drained. And he looked at me, put the scissors down. He was kind of like, just kidding. Um, so like some people, for whatever reason, have that sort of mama bear fighting spirit. And I hear that you have that. And I guess I wonder how that got cultivated in you. Um, is it how you were raised? Is it your mom who was an influence? Someone else who was an influence? Is it being a black woman and having to spend your life advocating for yourself? Like, What are the factors? Oh, that's an amazing question. I've never been asked that. I would say the the major influence for me would be experience and from coming from a strong line of women, my mother, her mother, so my grandmother and my great grandmother. These were all very strong, influential women in my life. And they're the type of women who really, at the end of the day, take no mess. 
Okay. They're the ones who say, this is what it's going to be. You have to make sure that you're confident. You have to make sure that you know what you're talking about. And at the same time, you stand up for yourself and you stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves. That was one thing my great grandmother always said to me. She said, Brandy, you have to make sure that you're not, of course, you're of course, you know, standing up for yourself. This was as a little girl, but she would say, make sure that you can help people too. And you have something in you that you're going to use later on. And I'm a little girl, I'm like eight years old. And I still remember that to this day. And I think that was the biggest thing. And then of course, coming from a background where, you know, everything wasn't perfect. Everything was not perfect in my life at all, where, you know, we had family issues. We had different things with my brother and my sister and I, we went through throughout our lives. And I'm grateful for those experiences because it definitely made me stronger as a teen. And as I went through college and my life and grad school and all these things, but I think it definitely comes from, you know, just being deep rooted in me from a strong line of women experiences where I had to fight. I had to fight, you know, not only to survive, but I had to fight to make sure that I am doing the things that I need to do to not only take care of myself, but also to take care of my family. So it goes very, very, very deep rooted. And that's been my personality all my life, taking care of making sure that I'm good, but at the same time, defending other people. And that's one story my husband and I, we talk about all the time. I would be a little girl and you would hear people like I was that person in school. So I did amazing grades. I was always sad, but I always got a call home because Brandy talked too much in class. Brandy has straight A's, but she has all these friends. Everyone wants to talk to Brandy. And I'm taking up for people. Like, I hated people getting bullied. I hated any of that. I would be the ones taking up for them. And I think that just transcended over into my adulthood as with what I do, you know, for a living as well, creating and adding in that confidence in people, making sure they feel that. Because I feel as though people can feel your passion. And I'm passionate about that. I never want anyone to say they couldn't do something because they're afraid of it, or they don't know what the outcome will be, or they're scared on how they will look to other people. No, 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 no. I want you to be confident in yourself. So I want you to be able to stand up for yourself. And I feel like that's a part of my purpose to be able to make sure that people do know how to do those things, because it naturally comes to me from a line of women and experiences. And how can I not, you know, do it for myself, but teach other people how to do it too. So hopefully that answers that. But that's an amazing question. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and also what's really interesting, thing too it's not like you were trying to do things completely out of the ordinary right a lot of a lot of people who are going into the ob model to the hospital birthing center to have their baby they're looking to not have the testing or not have the epidural or not have this or not have that it wasn't even like you were fighting for that you were just trying to get heard and basic respectful care and not get psyched out along the way. And I've seen this psych out so many times. I remember the first woman I ever midwifed for her, for a home birth. She was actually a friend of mine. We had known each other since we were 15 and 16. And she was in her, she was like 22 and I was like 21. I was helping her with her home. I was her <laughs> midwife. And, um, She moved to Atlanta for me to be her midwife and she's petite. You know, she's probably like five, two and a petite woman. And her partner was like six, three. And when she had her first prenatal visit, when she was just like four or five months pregnant before she moved down to Atlanta, she was in Connecticut. Her OB looked at her and looked at her partner and said, you're never going to be able to get that baby out. The baby's going to be too big for you. Like you can't tell that, like that is not the factor that makes that happen. Right. 
the whole two big babies. There's a lot of other factors going on there. So anyway, she's having this, she has a beautiful pregnancy. She is literally crowning her baby. And I remember like the room stopped, everything stopped. It was like everything went silent, like before a, you know, a tornado or something that's still. And she just looked at me with this fear in her eyes. And she said, am I going to be able to get my baby out? Or is my baby going to be too big? And I was just like, your baby's right here. But it was like that little seed of doubt and fear, even though for her or, and for you, clearly it didn't affect the outcome. It's still in there. And um, you know, we call that in medicine, the nocebo effect, but it's like vexing someone medically. Mm. And so I guess my other question for you is, what was it, do you think, like in retrospect, that didn't make you vulnerable to all the things that she said? Was it still that same kind of fighting spirit or was like what you were reading counteracting or what you were like learning in support group? Was that counteracting what you were hearing from this OB? Absolutely. I would say it was all three. I think it was um, at the end of the day, knowing that at uh, knowing this, I, I said this, this is my body and my body knows how to birth this baby. So regardless of anything that she was saying, I knew that. But then what the support group, knowing that women before me have been doing this forever, right? So knowing and having that confidence in my ability as a woman. So that was there. But then most importantly, doing research, having the knowledge to be able to say, because a lot of the time, granted, I am no OB, no midwife, none of that. But when she would go in there, I never wanted to feel like she's talking, any saying anything that I didn't understand, right? So I think that women, we don't do that enough where she's throwing out terminology that usually mostly, I mean, of course, all medical professionals would know, but I went the extra mile to read into all of those things. So when she would talk to me, I knew exactly what she was saying, but I would sit there and just let it process. I think that piece was the biggest part with the knowledge and really just doing your research and knowing the facts. That helped me a lot. And being able to connect like the birth circle, being in the group to be able to see what women have done prior to me and what I could do. So I didn't let those seeds of doubt and those seeds or or any of that just seep in. And I just kind of was like, no, 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 that doesn't have to be my story. That might be the story you think because of what you've seen and who else comes in here. But that doesn't have to be my story. I've read on this. I've done this. And I know my abilities. I'm confident in my abilities to be able to make this happen. And I think that's what honestly help me dig deep and down to stand on. I'm not pushing on my back. No, I want to push on my side. I honestly truly believe if I did push on my back, I would have tore. It could have been longer. The labor process could have been longer. It could have been a lot of different things. And believe it or not, I, I'm pretty sure you know this. The uh, What is that documentary by Ricky Lake? Uh, uh, the Business birth, of Being Born. The Business of Being Born. Oh, that there was a game changer for me. And I actually reached out to Ricky Lake on Instagram and told her and she responded. I, we talked about it. I was like, oh my gosh, she actually responded. She's human. She's not, it's not a robot, you know, and that helped too. Just like your resources, as far as what you offer, looking at the courses, the birth circle, watching those DVDs and those videos, but most importantly, diving into those books. I'm telling you, Aviva, I felt like after I was done with my pregnancy, I'm like, maybe I need to go to school and be an OB because I know way too much. And I really was passionate about it. So I think that I know that and I, I don't think anything. I know that is what helped me when regardless to everything, everything she shot down. I mean, it was literally almost a battle. I felt like I was going into a battle every time I would brace myself for what is she going to say today? Because every time she asked up, I would ask the question back and the, the look she would give was almost, how do you know that? 
Like that was the look I got. And to keep in mind, it's during COVID. So I'm looking at the nonverbals, right? The eyes, the, those are the things I pay attention to. People's posture, their nonverbal communication. Those are the things. She was very like, ugh, all right. Hmm. Oh, I want to get out. I need to run in here. Okay. Uh, and those are the things I was like, okay, I, I can see that she's wondering, how do you know this stuff? What are you reading? Why do you, why are you even asking? This is how it should be. I've told you what it is, but that helped me to be able to dig deep to just not let it affect me. And, and the outcome turned out amazing on that part. <laughs> it did. My labor and delivery was amazing. Well, it sounds like you really approached your care more like a client or consumer in some kind of way, even though healthcare, in my opinion, shouldn't be about having to be a consumer or having to fight for your rights. But I always say, you know, if you were redecorating your house and you hired a decorator and you're like, I hired you because you do modern design interiors. And now all of a sudden you're giving me country French you're not going to let somebody furnish your house with country friends. You're going to be like, hell no, you know, that's not happening. But we don't take that same approach when we see that person with the white coat and the stethoscope and that authority. Um, we often, many people, because we're taught to do this, and also because fear is a factor in the unknown of our health. So whether we're sick or completely healthy but pregnant and feel vulnerable to, you know, and rely on someone else, Instead of switching into that, yeah, no, uh, uh-uh, I, I didn't ask for country French. I asked for modern, and, and I'm paying you for modern, and that's what we need to do here. Um, you had that ability to approach it that way, rather than like, oh my goodness, she's wearing a white coat. I have to do what she says. I can't talk back. I can't confront. Right? You didn't shift into that patient or like dominator, um, submissive role, and that's really important. Yes, absolutely. Because that's the role that you, you, I honestly know for a fact she felt very powerful in, which she should. You know, yeah, that, she's the subject matter expert. She's the shmi, right? As we would call it. She's that person. So I trust you. I trust your medical knowledge, but I have to make sure that it's tailored to me. And after multiple times of proving that, you know, I, really kind of was just a number, even though you've known me now for over four years, you know what I mean? I just felt like it was going to be a deeper connection with that. And we had a great connection until I started asking more questions. I felt like she didn't like the point of that. And she's like, you have just such a great personality and all this and that. This was during GYN visits. But during this piece, I think too, as a mama to be, you know, that part came out even more being protective of myself, but my unborn baby, because he can't advocate for himself inside of there. I'm the person who's doing that. I'm the one who's going to make sure that he's safe and he's okay. And the right tests are being ran that I'm doing the best that I can do to make sure that he's okay. So that kicked in for me too there. And as we talk about in the support group, for those of you who are listening and are pregnant and don't know this, um, you know, sometimes pregnant people get bullied. Uh, You know, Mm. oh, if you would only, you know, if you're a good mom, then you would do this for your baby. Or do you want something to happen to your baby? And legally, actually, um, that should not be happening. That's called coercion. And um, even the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has a white paper stating that you have the right to say no. You have the right Mm -hmm. to ask for things. And as the pregnant person, you are the sole personal and legal guardian and advocate for your baby. You can accept or decline based on what you feel is best for you and your baby, what you need. So let's get to Mm. that because your, um, 
your ability to be to speak up for yourself, your knowledge that you gained. I know you shared in the support group um, email after you felt like the experience of being supported and having that knowledge and what you learned about advocacy. I mean, Brandy, it it all put together literally saved your life and. You know, that's what Birth Circle is about, is being inspiring, being um, informative, being, you know, pumped about birth, but also the other side (laughs) is like, this is some for real stuff happening, and especially for Black, Indigenous women of color. So take it away, please. Tell us what happened. Yes. So after that whole experience and, you know, leaving and finally getting our baby home and all this just, oh, it was just such a, just a delightful feeling to be a new parent. So I get home and, oh, I did want to say this. She did pop in during our visit at the hospital. So I'm like, oh, there you are now. And she didn't say anything like, hey, I'm sorry. I missed the birth. I know I promised you. She was like, oh, how did it go? I'm like, it went great. I pushed him out in 20 minutes and no tearing. And she's like, oh, wow. Okay. And she's like, okay, well, that's good. And she's like, well, are you feeling okay? I was like, I feel okay. I said, I'm having some, you know, breathing. I feel like my breathe. She's like, oh, well, we can run some tests for that. And then she leaves. So that that was it for her for my last part. I did want to build on that. So then we get home. And no tests I, were run. I take it at that moment. Uh, oh, no. At that moment, no tests were run okay. at all. No, okay. no, no tests. No tests. I just went home. So I went home about 13 days. It was exactly 13 days after I had Zachary. I had a headache. I had a headache right behind my left eye. And I'm like, hmm, that's kind of weird. And I, I, I don't get headaches at all. I don't get headaches. But I said, oh, we're sleep deprived. Duh, it's a newborn, Brandy. You know, you're, you, we're not sleeping. But my mind said, no, this headache feels a little different. So after that headache, I one thing I did want to tell you, Aviva, during my second trimester, I purchased myself a blood pressure uh, machine to be able to check my blood pressure at home. Granted, I've never had any blood pressure issues, but I felt too with my family, like looking at my family history, my mom, my dad, they had high blood pressure. I wanted to stay on top of it. And I still do not think to this day, every four weeks is enough for women checking their blood pressure and doing these check-ins. I totally feel like that is so wrong, but okay. I had that. I told her I had a blood pressure machine. She said, what do you have that for? I was like, um, track my blood pressures. She's like, oh, okay. Another snippet I'm going to say. Oh, let me keep going because I, oh, I have so much stuff to just say. Oh, it's so much. Okay. Back to me checking my blood pressure. I go upstairs. I hand my husband a baby. I said, I'm going to just check my blood pressure really quick because I feel a little off. My head is hurting and I've taken ibuprofen. Nothing's working. And he's like, okay. I go upstairs. I sit down. I take it. It's like 160 over 102. I've never had a blood pressure that high. I said, whoa, let's, let me calm down and relax. You know, you have to just read, just, okay, take a couple deep breaths, wait five minutes. I center myself. I put it on my desk to make sure it's at the you know heart level, make sure it's not too low or too high. I sit down and I take it again. It's still the exact same reading. Immediately. I call that doctor's office. I said, Hey, um, my blood pressure is this. And they're like, well, how are you feeling? I told him I was feeling. He said, okay, well, um, okay, come on in. Uh, we'll set you an appointment. Come on in and we'll, we'll, we'll take it here. I said, okay, that's fine leave my husband at home. I go ahead and I take myself there and I go to the doctor and they're like, um, okay, we'll take the blood pressure. The CNA, so the certified nurse assistant, she's the one who's taking the blood pressure. She takes it with a manual cuff. She takes my blood pressure, pumps it up. And then she's like, oh, it's totally normal. It's like 120 over 77. 
I said, huh? It was those were the numbers, 120 over 77. I said, no, no, no way. She's like, okay. So she's like, oh, go be sure to go you leave a urine sample too. I said, okay, fine, I did that. So my doctor walks in, the same OB, and she's like, hey, sweetie. And I'm like, hi. And she's like, how are you feeling? I was like, I have a headache on my left side. It hasn't gone anywhere. And I took my blood pressure and I told her what it was. She looked at the paperwork. She's like, well, no, your blood pressure is actually normal. So um, yeah. I said, uh, no, I don't think it is. She said, well, she just took it and it was 120 over 77. I said, no. I said, so it's one thing I did want to talk to you about. And she said, okay, what? I said, I don't think your nursing assistants are taking proper blood pressure. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, I don't think so. Throughout all of my visits, I told you I had my blood pressure cuff. I'll compare what they've taken and what I've had. And it's, it's an astronomical difference. And she said, there's no way. I said, yes. I said, can you take my blood pressure? She's like, fine. Okay. So she leaves out comes back in with the manual cuff. She puts it on my arm. She's not happy. You can tell. Remember, I'm reading the nonverbal. It's, it's definitely attitude in this. And she puts it on and she flexes it up. Drains it. She looks me right in my face. She said, oh, she pulls her mask down. She said, you were right. Your blood pressure is reading. It was one. It was higher than I even took it at home. 163 over like 104. And she's like, oh, Steps back, she leans on the wall and she said, okay, what's going through her mind, I can tell was, could she be right? How many women are they taking not proper blood pressures on? That is an astronomical difference. You could have sent me home if I didn't tell you to take my blood pressure. Then she gets the results for my urine sample. There's protein in my urine. She's like, this is postpartum preeclampsia. I need you to go to Northside immediately. And I'll be there. I'm on call there. I'll be there about three o'clock. And I was like, Oh, oh, okay. And I'm sitting there like, it's what? What is this? And she said, if you hadn't come in today, you could have had a seizure or stroke over the weekend, sweetie. So how um, was she yeah. telling you to get over Northside to take yourself over there by car? Like, what was she? No, no, take myself over there by car. Okay. Go to Northside from the office, from her office, Northside Hospital, from where she was, because her office was uh, probably about. 17 minutes, no traffic in Atlanta. So she's like, go, go ahead and over to Northside and go there. I get over to Northside. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm 13 days postpartum. I'm bleeding, <laughs> right? Granted, I, I didn't have any tearing, but my pelvis is so sore. I, I can't barely still walk. Like, you know, I push on an eight pound, 10 ounce baby. I'm not myself. I am bawling because I'm hurting now because my head is still hurting. I get to Northside, they check me in and they're like, okay, so we got the notes from your doctor. So we're going to start you on a magnesium drip and okay, it's going to suck. So then they take my blood pressure there and then they're drawing blood to check my liver enzymes and all these things. So I've, I'm literally just laying there like, what is going on? Everything starts getting worse. They give me two different blood pressure medications via IV because my blood pressure has skyrocketed then. And they're like, we need to get it down now, right now. We need to get it down. So before we start this magnesium drip, they didn't even start that immediately. They were injecting me with two different types of blood pressure medicine because it was getting, it was so high. So I'm laying there. My husband, he's, he's there now. Right. So he comes, my baby's at home with my mother-in-law. So thank God she was in town and was helping us with the baby. Thank God. So once they get it kind of down, it was not down. I start the magnesium drip of even my head is killing me. When I say I've never experienced this type of pain from my head down to everything in my body was hurting and I could barely walk. Cause they're like, we still need you to leave urine. Cause we want to make sure your kidneys is flushing this out but you need to still sit here. I'm strapped up. They, they blew three veins in my arms because they couldn't find the vein. This was before they started the IV and they had to call the blood, the, the IV specialist team to come even run a, a oof, I'm getting chills thinking about it right now because that was such a traumatic experience. And I'm laying there. 
blood pressure starting to come down. Magnesium drip absolutely sucked like they said it would. And my doctor walks in. Remember, I had been there all afternoon. She comes in at 2 a.m. And she's like, what's going on? How are you? I'm laying there and I am crying. And I, I and when I'm, I'm very strong, but I'm just like, I, I, I could not believe I was feeling that much pain and I'm ripped away from my baby and my baby cannot come here. And I, and no one's, I feel like it's listening or helping me. I'm like, I am in pain. I looked at her and I said, help me, please help me. Because I felt like the nurses, you know, they can't do anything without your doctor's permission. And she's like, oh, the, the lack of empathy is what killed me. She said, well, listen, I mean, it's it just nothing we really can do. We can give you some more Percocets because they had me on Percocets. So I'm on Percocets. I've never taken any type of pain medication like this, but that's it. You're going to have to wait it out. You're going to have to wait it out. That's just, that's just what it is. You're going to have to wait it out. And I am bawling like, oh my gosh, are you killing me? I'm calling on the name of Jesus. I said, oh my God. So then she leaves. What a wasted visit. So I ended up being admitted for three days. Um, and I was in pain all of those three days. My headache still did not start to reside until literally it was almost time to go home. And they sent me home with Percocets and also on blood pressure medication. So I was sent on, I was on Labetalol. They had me on 300 milligrams of that twice a day and still Percocets when needed. So I finally got home and I just was like, oh my goodness. And I literally had to start seeing my counselor because that traumatic event, I would just break down crying. It was three days after I thought, you know, I go back to being a mom now, right? My baby, I'm that. Just the thought of what happened to me and how I was treated just really just ripped me down, ripped me apart. And every time I thought about it. So then I go to see her at my postpartum checkup. We ended up going back in four weeks and she's like, how are you feeling? I was like, well, you know, the blood pressure piece, I've been still monitoring it at home. She never followed up with me when I left the hospital or anything. And she's like, okay, well, what you're going to start doing is weaning yourself off. I said, huh? I said, my blood pressure is still elevated though. She's like, yeah, just start weaning yourself off. I said, so, okay, so how do I do that? How do I just wean myself? Do I just stop taking it? Do we have a plan? She's like, just, just start, start one day, just start, start taking just one dose. Okay. And then just kind of go through it and see how you feel, check your blood pressure. And then that's it. Then just stop. I said, I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't feel comfortable because you told me that the elevation of my blood pressure, I could have had a seizure or stroke. What is the difference between now and just stop taking the medicine? Like I was saying, just stop taking it over time. It's going to level out. It's your hormones, sweetie. It's your hormones. They'll come down. Just stop taking it. Huh? That's how I left. That was it for me, Aviva. That was the moment I was done. And I only went to her because you have to see your doctor postpartum. I immediately scheduled an appointment with my primary care physician. I said, we are going to handle this blood pressure thing because I felt unheard. I felt like she did not care. And I felt like she did not value my life. And for my life, I have a baby to be here for, a family, a husband, my entire family. Started seeing a primary care physician. They switched up the medication. I am still to this day on blood pressure medication to bring it back down. And that was my postpartum experience with my, with my doctor. And that's why everybody, when we started talking and I said to Brandy, I'm really glad you're here. I meant it quite literally. Um, in the last year, um, there have been several maternal deaths of black mamas. The maternal mortality rate in the U.S. is one of the only countries in the world that's actually going up for all women, uh, white women, brown women, black women. And, um, you know, all of you know, I mean, I have been a committed home birth advocate and mama advocate for almost four decades now. 
and know that birth can be a non-traumatic, beautiful, really wonderful experience as Brandy herself experienced. But we really have to, I feel, go into it with open eyes. And it doesn't mean going into your experience prepared for the worst or prepared for a battle. At the same time, and particularly if you're birthing in the medical model and escalating that also if you are a black indigenous woman or person of color having a baby, it is really important to have your eyes open, become an advocate for yourself. There are numerous programs online. You can join my program, which you can find out over about over. Um, right now still, it's over at hashtag I deserve birth support on um, my on Facebook. Uh, pretty soon it'll be over at my website, avivaram.com. And um, there are many uh, doula programs. There are programs, uh, there are home birth midwives, there are hospital midwives. Um, as Brandy experienced, she had a very different experience with a midwife. There are doulas. And also, quite frankly, we know that Black women who are cared for by Black doctors, Black babies that are cared for by Black doctors have better outcomes. The, mater- the infant mortality is lower for Black babies cared for by Black doctors. So there also can be advantages to finding people who, for lack of a better way of saying it, look like you and share your experience and also know what to look for that may be unique to your experience, various systemic um, issues, but also medical issues that are more common. Brandy, you were also wise enough to put your PCOS on the list of things that can increase your blood sugar risk, for example, your diabetes risk. Um, I know that you shared that being part of the birth circle and the course really was a shift for you. And it sounds like your birth experience has been a huge shift for you and that it's laid out a new calling, if you will. So tell us what you're doing. You're doing something big now. (laughs) Yes, indeed. I mean, I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for the birth circle. I'm thankful for all of that support because with navigating throughout my pregnancy and experiencing this because I couldn't figure out, I said, why did I have to go through that whole traumatic event? Why throughout my pregnancy, it couldn't be just like the normal mamas because you think it should be nor it's normal to have your doctor just as excited. And I have to go through and I have to go back and forth. Why, why, why? And it was revealed. I mean, I knew that this was an area that I was being called to serve in. And I had no idea this would be it for me because with my background, I do training and development, sales leadership, corporate training, all of those things. But this here. I feel like I am on fire about. So it it just really pushed me into automatically, how can I save the lives of women? How can I teach women how to advocate for themselves, create that confidence for them, unlock their voice so they can feel as though they are heard throughout their pregnancy and postpartum? How can I, it comes down to this, how can I save their lives? Because if I didn't do the things that I did or reach out or have the support that I've had throughout, through you, through everything else, I could not be here today. I could have a beautiful baby and a husband and no longer be here. And that gives me chills because I don't want any mama, regardless to race, 
any of those things to experience what I experienced and not know what to do. So I created something called B, like the bumblebee, B Empowered Mama. So what that is, is basically showing women how to advocate for themselves. We focus on ways to help them, of course, Go in with questions. What exactly should you ask? What are some things that you need to know? Really reaching out to the subject matter experts and making sure that they have quality information to be able to make them feel empowered throughout their pregnancy and postpartum. So we have our mama bees. So of course, it's like the bumblebee connecting the mama bees. Like I am so big on community and community is everything. Once while you're having a baby, going through that process. And then of course, once the baby's here, we just don't drop off the face of the earth. Like I wanna make sure that women and mama bees are connected and empowered together. So we focus on those things. So our model is very simple. Know the facts, save your own life because it's your life that's in your hands. Granted, we are supposed to trust the white coats. We are supposed to do that. But sometimes they're human. They fall short and we deserve to have the treatment that we want. So I want to empower women to be able to do that with online courses, with workshops, with conferences, with community. Those are the things that we're growing and doing. And when I say Aviva, I am so excited. I mean, I am passionate about it. I want women to walk away feeling like, yes, I feel good. Be Empowered Mama has me feeling like a mom boss. I know what to say. I know what to do. I know that I can ask these questions. I feel confident in myself as a mom and my abilities. That's what our goal is to be able to do. So I am so happy and excited for it. I can scream right now. (laughs) I love it. It's amazing. Brandy, if you had, let's say, three things that you would say to obstetricians based on your experience that they need to change and change now, what would those three things be? Oh, wow. Very first thing would be don't judge a book by its cover. That's the very first piece of advice I would say to an OB. I don't care if someone walks in with dreads, with an afro, with silky hair, with yoga pants or yoga shorts on. You do not know them enough and you don't know their background to be able to automatically categorize them as maybe they don't know enough or maybe they don't care enough about their pregnancy because of what they might have experienced. One thing as a Black woman that I've learned and noticed with the white coats before pregnancy, I've always felt when I went to a doctor, I had to secretly slide my credentials across the table. And what I mean by that is I have to talk. I feel like I have to put on. I have to feel like I'm on stage, like I'm at work. You know, you know what I, I mean? I, I, interviewed, have, oh. um, I interviewed mm-hmm. Jess Clemens, Dr. Jess, mm-hmm. uh, about her home birth experience. And she said the same thing, actually. She <gasps> said as a Black woman, she found herself continually kind of saying like dropping the fact that she was an MD to <laughs> to get elevated treatment over the treatment that she knew she might get otherwise it was really interesting so she oh, said wow. she found herself inadvertently kind of like subconsciously like you said just slipping that in there oh wow and that oh, that right there is the absolute truth and you do that Cohen and you were like just so they know I'm educated. So just so they know I have a master's degree. I have a doctorate degree. I have these things. You know, we have to go in and be on, but I don't feel like other races have to do that. So I would want them to say, don't judge a book by its cover. Go in immediately open, excited, because one day I can come in with my hair super huge and yoga pants, or I can come in in a business suit. You don't know me enough to know that. So I want them to treat everyone equally and don't judge a book by its cover. The second thing for OBs, it would be, oh my goodness, 
please turn up to the maximum your personality and the bedside manner. These are the most vulnerable times that we will have for women in their entire lives. Having a baby is life-changing. It's a game changer. As strong as women might be, or women who just might not be as confident, we need you to make this an incredible experience. We need you to make it like, hey, this is the first baby you ever delivered. I want that same excitement that you had during most likely medical school and those things when you delivered your first baby every single time because we deserve that when we're coming and they're trusting you with our life and our unborn child. So turn up the energy and the, the bedside manner and empathy. That would be number two. I need it on 10 every time. You're like, great, that's draining. So what? We need that from you. You will literally change lives and the outcomes of how people feel about giving birth by just turning it up a notch, adding in your personality. Well, Bernie, I don't have that personality. Guess what? They have courses online where you can learn how to be more empathetic and get some energy. So there's no excuse on why the bedside manner can't be totally top of the line. I would think last but not least, ooh, I would tell them to, ah, let's make this a good one. Under promise and over deliver. That's what I would tell them to do. Under promise and over deliver. And what I mean by that is set the expectation up front. You know, you're going to have your visits. This is how it's going to go. But at every single visit, think of one thing you can do to blow that mama's mind. What can you do to blow that mama's mind? One single thing. And it could be something themed throughout the day, right? Because you're going to see different people all day. Their, their schedules are jam-packed. What can I do to make an impact today? One single thing in my schedule. Whether that's, hey, you know what? How are you feeling about this? Hey, have you seen a new article with this? Something that you've researched and done. Share something that's above and beyond what you would normally do to connect. One thing to blow that mama's mind. I would have loved for my doctor to say, hey, you know what? Some cool new baby items. Guess what? Try this. Go on YouTube and search X, Y, and Z. Okay. Different things with that. Just simple things will make a mama feel like, hey, I got something to do. My doctor's just as excited. Let me go do it. Or, hey, they have a conference coming up. I, I heard that it was absolutely free. Check it out online for mamas to be. Do their research to blow that mama's mind. All we need is you to say one extra thing. Be excited and empathetic. But at the same time, don't judge me for what you think my experience will be like or what you think it will go. I need you to be open and excited. If that, if those three things happen, Aviva, oh my goodness. Talk about the industry. People will be literally doing backflips, referrals left and right. It would just be an amazing experience. And I wish I had those things. So if I could teach OBs, I would just turn it all the way up a notch where they would walk away feeling excited to be able to do this again. And I know they go through so much. It's so routine, you know, but at the same time, you chose this. You're passionate about giving birth. You're passionate about mamas. You're passionate about bringing new life. I would hope, right? So I'm hoping I'm speaking for them, but I would hope. Why not do that and take it up a notch with your patients? So those will be the three things I would say. Brandy, you have taken this conversation up just a huge notch. I am oh. so <laughs> appreciative of your energy, your inspiration, your insight, your articulateness about your experience. And honestly, like you have a complete lack of judgment toward your OB. I mean, you're really just telling it like it is in a situation which did have some negativity and neglect. And, um, you know, that's, that's an enormous thing that you're coming out of this and saying, all right, I, I'm going to have the impact. So, um, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for sharing your insights. And I'm really excited to watch what you do next. I'm excited to maybe collaborate <laughs> on some things and, 
Yeah, I'm just so grateful. And I wish you and your new family all the best joy, health, ease, empowerment. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And thank you for even having this conversation with me today. This was exciting. I, I love this. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. And everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Join us for the next episode of Natural MD Radio. We're going to have a lot more birth circle with lots of different stories, lots of different mamas, uh, birthing people. And we hope to just keep you inspired, empowered, and safe too. See you next time, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.